Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday and let's get into Season 5. Today we chat with Fiona McCallum, General Manager, McKillop Seasons and Kiva Moston, Seasons for Life Lead. McKillop Seasons evidence-based programs build knowledge and capacity of professionals to provide safe space for children, young people and adults to learn knowledge, skills and attitudes to understand and respond to experience of change, loss and grief. Today we chat with Kiva and Fiona about the impacts of grief, loss and change with our young people and some of the training programs available at McKillop Seasons. Thank you and welcome Kiva and Fiona. Welcome listeners. Thanks so much for joining us for today's podcast. With me today, I have Kiva Moston and Fiona McCallum. Kiva, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's a pleasure. Fiona, thank you for coming. Hey, Sam. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have a chat with you ladies and talk about the wonderful things that you're up to and the important things that you're doing. I think to set a bit of context for our listeners, Let's start with a bit of background. Let's paint a bit of a picture. Fiona, do you want to give us a background with you first? Professionally, where did it all start for for you and how did you find yourself in where you are today? Long story, Sam. I have a background as a a nurse, a clinical nurse specialist, and for many years worked on the wards and hospitals and then went into a more of an education role. And from there, went to work in human resources after doing more study. Wow. And after I... I'd had my time in human resources and personal professional experience led me to my work with McKillop Seasons, where we offer change, loss and grief education programs. Well, so whereabouts were you doing your nurse? Whereabouts were you stationed when you were a nurse? nurse? Uh, in Sydney, okay. in a hospital. Okay. Yep. How did you find that being a nurse? How did you find the experience? Look, I loved it. I loved the learning. I loved working with professionals who were there to support the experience of adults because I was working with adults at the time. And from there, from that clinical space, I moved into more of an educational space where I then supported couples who were trying to have a baby through IVF. And that led me to a different space where I saw the power of education, but the power of supporting people through that process, but also the incredible loss and grief that's associated with couples attempting to have a baby when it's just so very hard for them to make that dream and that reality happen. Is this something that interested you or is it like to move from nursing into that educational space around that particularly? Was there something that it just, it was just an opportunity that popped up and something you thought you'd be interested in or something you intentionally went into? Interesting question, Sam. I think it's a path that I follow. So I think the 
something arrives on my doorstep and for me, if I feel like it's a fit for my values and my experience, depending on the circumstances, I'll step in. I love that. Good on you. Well, that's really interesting. All right. So let's go to you, Kiva. So tell us a bit about yourself, your background and yeah, what you've been up to. So my background is in social work. When I left school, I was always drawn to working with people. I knew that was where I wanted to work, but I, I wanted to pursue creativity first. So I did a Bachelor of Art, Bachelor of Creative Arts with a major in drama. And I finished that and I wasn't quite sure. I was feeling like I was being pulled towards schools and maybe doing education. But I went overseas and travelled for a while and after that I came back and went, oh, I think I want to go back and do social work. So I, I went and did social work. And from there I started off in health and then I moved into community programs and mentoring programs with young people and a few penny drops there where I went, it's young people that I really like and I really like to work with. And so I moved across into school counselling and that's where I probably spent close to 10 years just working in schools, working with students and young people and their parents and staff. And I really loved that and I really loved the school environment, the school system. And then I actually moved across into working with Headspace schools and communities and uh, through the Bushfire Response Program, working more with communities. And again, it was just really just following that sense of being drawn to something. We were talking about that the other day. And from there, I was really working closely with schools after the Bushfire Response Program in that postvention space and working on that systems level with leaders when they are facing that really challenging situation of a loss by suicide. And then I've found myself here at McKillop Family Services and working with Fiona and really in that grief space, which when I look back, I've really always been drawn into people's stories and, and grief, loss and change are a really big part of that. So. I feel like I've landed in the place I'm meant to be for now. Wow, what a story. It's, uh, and what an experience that you would have had during that journey so far. Incredible. As it relates to the youth, and it's, it's quite the focus of what you're doing at the moment. In fact, let's just talk about what, what you're doing at the moment with the organisation you're both working for, and then we can go into a bit of that stuff. So who wants to tackle that question? For this particular project? Yeah. Yeah. So the Seasons for Life initiative has come... I suppose on the back of many years of work. So Seasons for Growth has been in existence for 27 years. So first came about with the notion of supporting children and young people following experience of family separation, but also bereavement. Noting at the time that there really was no program that would allow children and young people to come to a safe space together where they could explore the experience of loss and grief as a result of those circumstances. So very much based in education. Over the years, we've looked to the program and looked to the context which people, young people live. So whether that be a forced migration, whether that be family separation, children and young people living in out-of-home care where they have persistent and ongoing change and loss that they experience. But a number of years ago, we looked at how we could best support secondary school following a loss by suicide and whether Seasons for Growth for young people could provide them with some skills and knowledge and a space to come to actually process that experience of loss and grief. And that's where we've been led to really today and and where we are now with this initiative through Seasons for Life. Knowing that young people following a loss by suicide or other significant loss, will 
will respond and adapt to that loss with the support and the wraparound support of trusted adults in their lives, whether that be parents, carers, whether that be professionals in the school setting and other professionals. And noting that there was a place for seasons for growth and the knowledge that we have in supporting young people, those parents and carers, the professionals that support them to build their capacity to be able to respond and adapt to those experiences. So McKillop Family Services, which is the organisation itself, I mean, that's been around for some time. And a lot of experience, a lot of a lot of a lot of programs prior that have been delivered and been have been quite successful and getting some great results from that. So tell us a little bit about the McKillop Family Services organization itself, because I'd love to share that with our listeners as well. Sure, Sam, happy to. So McKillop Family Services has also been in existence for over twenty five years. And McKillop Family Services came about as a joining of organizations that were really committed to supporting children and young people who were really quite vulnerable and marginalised in society. It was three congregations or charisms that came together and it was the Sisters of St Joseph, the Sisters of Mercy, as well as the Christian Brothers. And that's and, and they came together and brought all of their individual organisations to form McKillop Family Services. And the work of McKillop is really that ongoing support in community to support young people, children and young people who may be forced to live away from home for various, and whether that's with foster carers in their homes or whether that's in residential care settings and also supporting with, you know, we've heard a lot in the the conference over the last couple of days about that prevention and early intervention. So very much focusing on what are the programs that we can support families with in that space. Yep. So at risk, at risk youth, I guess, and addressing these opportunities to say, well, how do we prevent suicide, suicide ideation? How do we try and help create some connection? And I know that when I looked at the Seasons for Life model that you have, it's pretty holistic and it actually involves a lot of different areas that come together and to try and have a unified approach to wrap. I think you, you mentioned the wraparound support. I love that, but I also want to get you to explain it rather than me. So Kiva, do you want to have addressed this and, and sort of help educate our listeners around this and what that means? Yeah, sure. So I think it's, it's really using Seasons for Growth as the cornerstone, the foundational stone that we are connecting with school communities with. And so then we're also offering, I guess, schools that have been impacted by a suicide loss or another significant loss, the opportunity to really train their staff so we're starting with the, the adults in that school community, training that staff firstly to potentially offer that program for the young people, but also offering the program, the parent programs. So we're getting there to the adults, the parents around these young people as well. And that includes a program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families. We're also looking at how can we you know, offer some education to the staff themselves so they're not training but just wanting to tap into some professional learning about grief loss and change and and those particular things that we might need to just hold at the forefront following a loss by suicide and it's really designed to be that really gentle offering of education and to to as you know Fiona said early affirm what they're already doing and what they already know but also build that capacity as well. It's happening all too often still, isn't it, suicide in our young people? One of the statistics that you put up there was it was a leading 
cause of death for young people between 15 and 24 years of age, but then also First Nations four times higher, LGBTIQ five times higher. I mean, it's it's alarming that these statistics are still going the way they're going. What do you think are some of the contributors that is keeping these numbers rising when we're sort of in a feels like there's getting we're getting more awareness, more education out there than what there has been traditionally. But what do you think is really inflaming or, or further creating these increase in numbers? I think it's a really big question, Sam. But I think it's important that we contextualize it in that it's incredibly complex. Yeah. And that we can't draw One simple. Reason. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I think that's it's really important to keep it in that context of the complexity. There's so many layers and so many dynamics. And I think all of that comes into play when we are. You know, asking the question of why, I think yeah, the complexity is key. A grief, loss and change in young people. How have we seen this come into play? How are they impacted by this in their, obviously personally, but then also in their wider community or group? Or, I mean, what are we seeing some of the trends with this? And because some people may not be aware of this and the impacts that this is having on our youth once when someone experiences a friend or a a family member that takes their own life. What are we seeing? I think we're seeing a whole range of things. And I think that comes back to grief being a really unique experience for everyone. I think with the suicide loss in particular, though, we see a lot of shock, a lot of disbelief, probably a bit more of a range of emotions that come up there. You know, I think we also see a lot of that rumination and looking back and trying to make sense of what's happened, which is really difficult to, to do. As I said, the complexity factor is there. and But it's natural for us as humans to be looking back, trying to make sense of what what's happened there. Then I think if we think about adolescence as well, as we've heard in the conference, you know, in the last couple of days, just it is a time where they are really learning who they are and developing their identity. And so, you know, part of that is learning how they navigate their grief as well. So it, I think it will look different for every individual. And part of the professional learning that we are offering with Seasons for Life for staff educators is exactly that in what might grief look like for young people and how do they shift in and out of it and how do they express that and how can we find those safe pockets for them to be able to understand what this grief is and then also learn those skills and step into their agency of navigating that for the time that they are experiencing it now, but also in the future when they are facing other adversities, those skills will still be there for them. Mm. Yeah, and so it's about coming into that community when such a tragic loss is experienced and trying to help provide some support networks and mechanisms and some coping mechanisms for the community itself. Is that? Yeah, I would add there that Fiona's made the point already you know, we know the fabulous work of Headspace schools and communities and other departments of education as well that really support their schools immediately after a crisis. And our place isn't to step in there. Our place is to, you know, communicate with the other stakeholders, let them know we're here as well and let the school know we're here, but it's a bit further down the line where really the Season for Life offering really comes to life. And I, I've seen that firsthand when I've been working with students that are bereaved or experiencing a significant loss. And there is a, a, a period of time where there's all that support around them. And then after a little while, that seems to disappear. And there's this invisible timeline of, of how long you can be, you know, trying to process and talk about this loss. And so that Seasons for Life offering and Seasons for Growth, just a bit further down the line, is, is a great time when perhaps some of that dust has settled a little bit. And they're in that space to be able to start to, you know, have a place where they can still 
you know, be exploring and unpacking and learning about their grief. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of focus, isn't there, on the immediate after a crisis happens in a community around this. And then, yeah, it's probably a few months later, isn't it, or, or to a year where things sort of get back to a bit of normality and things settle down. And then all of a sudden you think people forget about it, but the truth is that the underlying trauma can last for some time. So tell us about what the, some of these coping mechanisms are and with people that are, that are going through such a process, what are some things that they can do to help and assist them in trying to cope with grief and loss of a friend, a loved one? One of the first things is just knowing that it has a name, knowing that these feelings and reactions is called grief and it's a natural response to something that maybe, you know, isn't something that we would expect to have happened, like a loss by suicide. I think it's understanding their own experience and, and the feelings that they are navigating. And I think it's drawing on past experiences of their life, what, what's helped in the past. And, and having a bit of a framework of the seasons metaphor also gives a nice, safe and gentle way to be thinking it through. And through the program, there's small groups, so you've got that peer-to-peer connection led by a trained companion. So you've got that safe space to hear from, from other peers. This is what I've found to be helpful and this is what a winter day feels like for me and this is what I try and this is what helps. And so that is a really powerful way, you know, them sort of sharing what they've discovered and learned and it might be, you know, all the things that we would t- typically say. So it might be writing, it might be listening to music that really expresses how you feel, it might be the physical side of things talking to a trusted adult. And so they can offer their ways that they've learned have been helpful, but also take on the knowledge from the group as well. And I think that in and of itself is so powerful and they can hear, I'm not the only one that is navigating this and I do that too, or or maybe I can try that as well. So I think that's a really powerful way that they can start to cultivate it because it's really personal to the individual. And there's so many, I mean, there's so many communities around Australia that would be experiencing or have experienced something like this. So how do you get, how do you get the reach? How does, how, I mean, are you guys well resourced? How, what geographical area do you, are you covering? Are you doing a lot of rural and remote stuff? Are you doing mostly cities, metro stuff? Tell us a little bit about that. Great question, Sam. So we have a national reach and we actually have international partners overseas, New Zealand, Scotland, and Wales, and some people who take the program Ireland. I was actually speaking to a lady from Barbados the other day and we were talking about her support of her young people in Barbados because they've been so impacted by the lack of tourism. But certainly our reach is national, so we don't discriminate. It's we work schools, organisations, city, regional, rural and remote. And I think what we saw following the bushfires of 2019-20 is that, and with the, and of course with a layer of COVID, we were able to actually reach those schools. Sometimes we deliver our training and support those schools face-to-face in their communities and other times we deliver that online. But what it means and is that school communities other organisations have access to the work that we do and can actually deliver or companion the groups for the children, young people and adults that most need it. Right, so they can get access to the content and deliver the content themselves rather than waiting for somebody to come and do it for them. Yeah, so in essence we're quite a small team and we couldn't do the work that we do without collaborating with 
local professionals in their yeah. communities. And in some ways, Sam, you know, that, that on a, not only builds the, the local capacity of that community for now, but for the future, but it also means that for children and young people, that they can have that access to the ongoing support beyond, you know, beyond the work that we can do with that community. Yeah. And so a, a big part of this, you mentioned before, is the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders as well, the community with them and trying to support them in a culturally appropriate way. Tammy spoke on some wonderful things around this and the, and how it's really culturally appropriate. And I, I love when she spoke about the cultural resilience of, of Indigenous people. I thought that was fantastic. Do you just want to give us a little bit of insights into the Indigenous approach or Indigenous, the way the, the program also helps to, to cater for the Indigenous and First Nations people? The program, Sam, has always been written from, I suppose, the perspective that change and loss are experienced by every individual and grief is a natural and human response to that change and loss. What we do know is, and, and having listened to Tammy and that beautiful video clip today, is that there are ways and means that we really look at our work currently and how we can better support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. And that can only ever be done with and alongside our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander colleagues. So with people like Tammy and others, we are consistently and will be looking to what more can we explore through the program and what more is it that we can change and improve in our work to better be able to support those communities in their experiences. I think it's fantastic and, and getting, some good, getting some good results as well with this program. Children and young people have accessed the program for over 25 years and over those 25 years we've had evaluations by universities and each and every time, some of the points that Kiva spoke to in terms of building around grief, so building that literacy, building the connection and the support networks, and also encouraging or helping children and young people to understand that I'm not the is a really significant factor in that small group process. But time and time again, and particularly in the last couple of evaluations that we've recently completed, we have well-being scores. So we can actually see that there's a significant difference for children and young people from that pre the program to post and follow up wow. in their well-being. So I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, that's great. I think too, Sam, that there's always learnings for us. So, yeah. you know, I think I go back to the point of we will continue to learn and we'll continue to evolve based on the feedback of children and young people, but also those people that we collaborate with. And totally lost my point of view. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, it's, it's important to have that flexibility, isn't it? And the, the, to be agile in this, because if you keep doing the same thing and, and you don't keep it current and up to date, you can sort of lose that effectiveness and, and probably reduce the, the outcomes or the successful outcomes that you're looking to get from the program itself. I love that the fact that you're engaging young people and the feedback from young people in designing and improving programs, which is fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Look, we have a really structured approach to any of our program development. So clearly Seasons for Growth has been in existence for quite some time now. But when we do approach our work or a new initiative, 
like some of the facets of the Seasons for Life initiative, we work really closely with Professor Anne Graham from the Centre for Children and Young People at Southern Cross University. She's also the author of Seasons for Growth. So we look at the research evidence about what children and young people, what adults, what parents need to support following loss and grief experiences. And and that's our core component. So we start there, but we build from that. And we also go through a process of seeking feedback, but then also an initial process of piloting our work before we finalise what we actually will to a greater network of schools or communities. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I like that approach. And I mean, the suicide, like you mentioned earlier, I think Kiva, you mentioned that it was everyone's experience around suicide is different. So, I mean, it's important for it to remain, I guess, to provide tools when needed at certain times, because not everyone's going to have the same reaction at the same time. And so that flexibility, but I mean, it must be tough to have, to try and come up with a program that caters for everybody. I think you're right. And I think particularly in the school environment, when a school is then trying to work out, okay, this, this loss has happened, how are we going to take care of our students? How are we going to support them? And there'll be, you know, some really clear, you know, we think these students might be impacted from various friendship groups, but there will be a huge number of students where the level of impact won't be known really clearly. And so I think a school would really employ quite a few different strategies in their recovery plan. There probably isn't a a one that will fit everyone, but I think with the Seasons for Growth program, the beauty of it is it's this gentle offering that can sit in a school and students can can opt in. And the reason that's prompted them to come into that program, it might be related to the suicide, but it might be related to something else as well. And I think then in within that group, it's a really contained, safe, predictable group setting. They can then sort of really explore and opt in as much as they want to share where they feel safe. So it's that really lovely element and I think that's one of the things that will really hold it in good stead in this context is that level of agency for young people to engage. It can be certainly wide-reaching the impact of suicide in a community, especially see tight-knit communities, schools, the feeding schools with younger siblings in it. I mean, you can just see how everybody is impacted and everyone gets, you know, so the understanding of what's happened can be so varied across the community. It's just you're right, there's no one size fits all with this and it's all going to happen at different times in different ways. So it's a very interesting but very very serious point. And I think if you can go towards some way of, of making it as, yeah, I mean, to acknowledge it, and I like what you said before, which was actually putting a name to it and saying it's okay and, and to actually describe it, talk about it and and provide a safe space. And the other thing I love is that you really grab the two main components, which is the home and the school part of it, which are the, the two main parts that kids spend most of their time. So, I mean, that, that really makes sense. But we're also, I'd love to get your thoughts on suicide amongst young people. And are we seeing, is there any trends happening, Any anything in particular that's causing this? Are we seeing anything around, you know, is online being a component of this? Is 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 even even part of the the solution, trying to help people cope with grief, is it, does it deal with online? I'd love to just get your input around the, the digital world and, and the role it plays during this, if that's okay. Yeah, I think it's, we can't ignore the fact that all of us live in a, in a digital world these days. And so it's definitely an element, I guess, where 
we need to be thinking about. I'm going to come back to the complexity factor again around suicide. And I think our seasons for growth growth offering is in person and it's that relational. So we don't really have a space for seasons for growth online in that digital space. But I definitely think that it's that information and capacity building and education building. So that can be layered through the schools. And that's another reason to be going through the, the adults around the young people as well. And just knowing, I think also building that capacity in young people, when they are engaging with their friends online, they can be picking up on different things as well. And then knowing they've got adults around them that they can tap into to sort of respond to that if they're seeing that online. The sense of connection is really important with youth and, and something that digital space helps with and also can help people feel disconnected to some degree as well. What role do we see in connection playing in prevention but also postvention? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I think connection is, is essential. Connection and relationships. I think the Seasons for Growth program would sit beautifully in the prevention space as well. So having it as that normal offering and it's that help seeking as well, that normalised help seeking that's there. I think that would um, really, it's that relationship building. It's also the staff as well in that school community and the parents. So coming together and we are all together in this and building that capacity together. So yeah, absolutely. Connection is, is a foundational piece, I think, of the way the Seasons for Growth program operates and season for life as well. And that also extends to stakeholders as well in how we support school communities. That's a really important part, you know, for us as we are rolling out this initiative. How do we make this easier for schools to tap into this? How do we connect with the complementary, you know, support that's offered from other services? Because we don't want to make it harder for schools. We want to make it easier. Yeah, it can be confusing with so many different things out there to know which which part to pull in and use at what point. So simplifying that is a great idea, but also I'd love to get your thoughts on what some of the key challenges are that you're facing when rolling out such a program and yeah, because I no doubt you would have had your fair share of challenges at some point. There are always challenges and opportunities, Sam. And I think one, I think if I can start with the hope of this and the opportunity is that we work with some incredible people in schools, in organisation, in headspace communities, schools and communities that do incredible work to support the mental health and wellbeing of children and young people. We know that high schools are really pressured spaces in terms of timetables, academic pressures. And I I think one of the ways or one of the opportunities is that we will work with schools to actually look at What's happening in their school system right now? What are the other things that they're implemented? What's happening in the culture and the system? And how can we best help them to identify how they could look at seasons for life and and work with it within the context of their school system already? That's fantastic. So it's so really trying to help mould the services that they need when they need it. So just be there and if they need if they only need a piece of it or a portion of it at some point, then that's fine as well. Look, absolutely, because we know that every school will be different and their needs will be different. So the initiative really has been developed to recognise that and to work alongside what the school needs. And it's something that we talk about through our work consistently. One of the phrases we use and never see a need without doing something about it, but it's also about whose needs are we meeting. So we have this Seasons for Life initiative 
But it really is about working with high schools and their support networks to identify what piece of this puzzle is best going to support this school at this point in time and develop a timeline for them that actually really meets their needs and where they are at now. That makes sense. Complete sense. Tell me about what's coming up, what's on the horizon, what's the future holding, what exciting things are coming up for you and the organisation or the program? Well, we're really looking forward to getting on the road and really starting to get this offering into high schools. So we've, you know, the team behind the scenes with Professor Anne Graham and her research team have really been working so hard so that we can have all of these Seasons for Life offerings ready to go. So term two, we are really looking forward to connecting with school communities, helping them engage with the training, helping them think about what implementation might look like in their school community. And really, ultimately, I think I'm just looking forward to being part of that process that creates safe, supported spaces for young people to really understand and learn about their grief. Fantastic, Fiona. Everything that Kiva said. So, but I think relationships at the core, at the, really at the core of it. So all of our work can only done in, be done in collaboration with school communities, with parents and carers, with professionals, and they in turn then with supporting young. And one of the phrases that I never say correctly, but I'm really trying to get right, is that we are greater than the sum of our parts. So one plus one doesn't equal two, it actually equals three. And I think that's my approach and my hope for the future. Well, you said that well. I got it right this time. <laughs> Usually I don't. That's fantastic. So Fiona and Kiva, if people want to learn more about what's going on in the program or reach out, what's the best way they can get in contact with you or the organisation? So there's probably a number of points, either through McKillop Family Services, which is our greater organisation, but equally, Sam, one of the other beautiful things that we're about to do is to launch as McKillop Seasons very shortly. So it's Googling McKillop Seasons or Seasons for Growth and our work will come up and people will be able to call in, email us. Anyway, is, is good. Perfect. Well, I think it's been really insightful learning about not only the organisation, the program with the Seasons for Life, but all around the delivery of it and where it sits and the some of the challenges, but also the amazing things that you guys are up to out there and looking forward to getting this on the ground, as you said, in term two. Keen to see how that goes and how that rolls out and the results you get from that. But congratulations on the work you're doing and yeah, look forward to an update at some point and see how it all goes. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA, on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.